Hey everybody, Nate Clark here. I'm the pastor of Oasis Church here in Richmond, Virginia. We pray that this podcast is helpful and encouraging to you in your life. Here's today's message. Acts chapter number nine, verse number one says this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, that if he found any there who belonged to the way. Now, that was a way to describe Christians as a follower of the way. I love that description even because it describes a life. It describes somebody that's not just saying they believe something, but they're literally living a certain way. They're following the way of Christ. And so they said, hey, if you're a Christian, you were a follower of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. So he's talking about Christians here. He said, men or women, that he would take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He neared Damascus on his journey and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's very interesting. Saul was persecuting Christians, but God says you're persecuting me. So, so you, sin, you may commit sin against others, but ultimately your sin is not against someone. Your sin is against a holy God. This is the psalmist says, against you and only you, O God, have I sinned. It's important to know your sin is against God. It's against God. So he said, hey, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground. He opened his eyes. He could see nothing. And so they led him by hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So God appears to him on the road to Damascus. Now I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. This is Paul, who was just Saul that we read about. Saul's name changed to Paul. This is him about three decades later writing back to someone he's mentoring, a young pastor, Timothy. He says this in verse 13. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, this is a good verse to memorize here. This is a good one to just ask God to stamp it on your heart. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example of those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Today I want to talk about the powerful grace of God, the powerful grace of God. I'm I'm hoping today to encourage you, if you're a believer in here today, I want to build your faith uh, about God's grace and the power that it has um, as you seek to follow him. So would you pray this out loud together with me? Say, dear God, today do what no man can do. Open my eyes, open my heart that I may receive your word. Believe your word and obey your word. Amen, 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 amen. You know, in our church and in the world, there are all kinds of people. Can I get an amen? All kinds of people. (laughs) There's all kinds of people with all kinds of different stories, all kinds of different personality types, all kinds of different passions and interests and talents and gifts and struggles there's all kinds of people. And what I know about me, what I know about our church, what I know about everybody is none of us are like. 
Like there's, there's just no carbon copies out here. We're, we're all, we are all very uniquely different. We are all uniquely one designed by God, created by God. And, and because of all of our stories and the unique fingerprint of God on all of us, all of us are just different. And that's amazing. I've, I've hit this a few weeks here, but I'm going to just keep driving it home just because I can. You know. Something about me, uh, I don't do coffee. I don't like coffee. I've tried to like coffee. I've tried to do the whole, you know, the Starbucks thing when people go there and start speaking another language. I'm like, I didn't know you were bilingual. It's like triple mocha pump, shot latte, this, that, that. I'm like, what are you saying? Like, what are you, you know, it's like I've tried all the stuff, you know, Anna's tried, like, try this, try this flavor, this. I can't do it. I don't like coffee. Um, if you do and you consistently need it and uh, consume it, you need deliverance. You just do. <laughs> We'll pray for you after service. You just, like, I just don't do it, okay? I, I don't, I can't, I've just found other things that I'll go to as my caffeine sources, but I just don't do it, okay? There's just something about me. That's me, that might not be you. We're all different, right? We're all different. Um, I personally love the summer and I love the fall. I love the summer because it's summer and I love the fall because it's the fall. The fall is just the best, the summer's, like, but winter, people that like winter, I'm like, what's wrong with you? If you like it, like, you know, there's a place called Michigan and Minnesota. If you like misery, go up there. Like, you can go up there, you know. It's, it's cold. It's not fun. It's darker. All this kind of Like, I just don't like it. Uh, in spring, I kind of like, because we're getting ready for summer, but I have terrible allergies. So spring is brutal. I'm like, I just need to leave for 90 days while all this stuff does, you know, what it does. And then I'll come back when the pollen's gone because my allergies just go crazy. So that's why I don't like it. So, but you may like winter. You may like spring. That's fine. We're all different. We're all different, right? We're all different. I have a few opinions about the roads and about driving. Uh, I think if, if you're not driving at least eight over and you're in the left lane, you got problems. You got problems and you're a danger to everybody else on the road going slow in the left lane. Like you just got problems. Um, eight, eight to 10 is fine. You know that phrase as far as not getting pulled over, you know, five, you're fine, 10, you're mine. You know, like that's fine. It's like, you know, but, fi- but five in the left lane is still too slow. You need to be going faster than five in the left lane. And uh, if you have an Oasis sticker on your car, for real, don't be that person. You know what I mean? It's like, don't do it, get over. So I, I you know, I, I've got some opinions and some aggression a little bit on the road sometimes. I love sports. I just love sports. I love sports. I love basketball in particular. VCU basketball and NBA basketball. If you love NBA, it's a wild week in the NBA right now with trades going on. And I love it. I eat it up. I love the NBA. I love college basketball. Um, There's Super Bowls tonight. There's two kinds of people. When you get invited to the Super Bowl, you know, you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like who's doing this with this stat and this thing. And then there's other people when you're asking about the Super Bowl, you're like, is there food? You're like, I don't know who's playing. I don't care. Like, I don't know what's, like, is there just food? Who's going to be there? Like, because you could care less about the game. You're just there for the commercials. Even though the last few years, they've just been awful. Just not impressive. Just not impressive. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like looking at McDonald's and I'm like, man, y'all just spent 20 million, but your ice cream machine still broke. Come on. Like, <laughs> for real, like get it together. What are you doing? So, so there's all kinds of people. I love sports. Some people don't like sports. I love music. I love music. I love music a lot. And I love a wide variety of music. I like tons of music. In the summer, I lean a little bit toward some, you know, some good country. I like some good country music. Um, if it's like a fitness thing, like gym or running or working out, I like some rock. I like something just to just get the blood pumping and a little bit of rock in that setting. Uh, I love worship music. I listen to worship music a lot. And I also love gospel music. I love some good gospel music. Like I remember growing up, we would go to King's Dominion for King's Fest. It's like this Christian music festival, you know, with all these different bands. We'd go to King's Fest. Uh, but then I also had to go to Joy Fest. 
Joyfest was the gospel musical. And y'all don't know nothing about Joyfest. Joyfest, some Kirk Franklin, Ty Tribbett, Marvin Sapp, Fred Hammond. Like me and my brother and my mom, we were the only white people at Joyfest. It was the best. I love Joyfest. I just love gospel music. I love all kinds of music. And I know everybody's got different tastes. Everybody's got different flavors of what they like and dislike and what they engage with. I, I know we're all so different. We're all so different, and that's the beautiful part about the body of Christ, and that's the beautiful part about uh, God and his unique creation. And my first point is my main point today in your notes. We're all so different, but what I really want you to get today is this. God can save anyone. God can save anyone. Someone that came from this background, someone that came from that background, someone that is involved in this and someone that's involved in that, someone that likes this and likes that, dislikes this, anybody, I don't care who you are, where you came from, what personality you have, what your story is, what your interests are, God can save anybody. God's grace is good enough and strong enough to save anybody, anybody. And our text today is an example of that. It's a great example of the powerful grace of God that can save anybody because God saves Saul. God saves Saul. A little bit of context for Acts chapter 9. Saul, a few chapters before that, had he is in charge of a group of people that's persecuting Christians. So his job, his mission, his goal in his life right now is to hinder people that are following Christ, to hinder the work of what God's doing. He, he's trying to persecute Christians. And so Acts chapter seven, there's a guy named Stephen who's preaching. And we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. They drag him out of the city, throw him in a pit, and stone him to death. They drop large stones on him until he's dead. Okay, Saul was the guy in charge of the group that was doing that. He was the guy holding the coats of the guys throwing the rocks. Hey, like you need to take off a layer to carry the boulder to murder this man. I'll hold your coat. He was also the guy that that group looked back to to get the thumbs up once he was dead that they were good if they could keep going or stop. He is the ringleader. He is large and in charge of this group who was killing and persecuting Christians. In Acts chapter eight, he's going into people's homes with court orders, he worked with the high priest. He's got a green light in forms of um, the process in the high courts to go into people's homes with court orders, drag them out of their homes and imprison them for declaring they follow Christ. Okay, and so what's happened because persecution has begun, the followers of Christ have scattered out of Jerusalem and they're going to all kinds of different places. We saw uh, a week or two ago that they were in Samaria and all these different places. They're scattering everywhere. And a place where many of them are landing is Damascus. There's a heavy temple presence in Damascus. And so there was a gathering there where, where people were uh, hearing about Christ and sharing Christ. And so there's great revival in Damascus. There is great presence of God's people in the gospel being declared in Damascus. Damascus is growing. It's catching wind. Hey, God's doing something in Damascus. People are coming to faith in Damascus. People are hearing the gospel in Damascus. And so Paul, being a persecutor of Christians, says, I need to go to Damascus. And his plan, as we see here in the text, his plan is to go there. He's already gone and got the court orders from the high priest. He's going there with court orders in hand to drag out men and women from their homes back to Jerusalem in jail. 
right, so that's what's going on here. That is, that is the guy who we're reading about. That is what he's doing. That is the way he's thinking. That is how he's living. And he's doing it so deceived because he's doing it thinking and believing he's doing it to please God. So, so he has been deceived. He has misunderstood the law. He has misunderstood the heart of God. He has missed the gospel. He has missed the message of Christ. And so he's not only just doing all these things, but he's doing it with an entrenched deception about God. He's, he's deceived. He can't be convinced. He was very educated. He grew up as a Jew. He did all the things. He checked all the boxes. He read all the things. He knew all the law. So, so this is not just off a cuff or just randomly. He's doing this. He's doing this with a deep deception in his mind, theologically, intellectually, that he is right and he is good before God and what he is doing is righteous and holy. So he's not only doing it wrong, but he is fully believing fully deceived, his spiritual eyes are fully blind as to what he's actually doing. And it's that guy that God saves. And I think if you were to have polled some of these Christians in this time, if you were to have polled some of the early church and said like, hey, out of everybody you're seeing, everybody you know, involved in uh, culturally what's happening here, every person in high places, all these people, who do you think is the least likely person to believe this message about Christ and then link arms with us and join in the mission of the gospel? Who would be the least likely person you know? There is no doubt about it, Saul would have been at the top of that list. Again, not only just because of what he was doing, but he was so deceived in his belief, he was so entrenched in his belief that surely everyone there, like if there were to be a list of unlikely candidates to believe the gospel and be saved by God and join on mission with Christ, he would have been the top of the list, yet God saved Saul. Why? Because God can save anybody. Like I want you to think about this for a moment when we talk about people that are lost or people that are deceived or people that are far from God, all of us might think about different things or different people. We might make in our mind a different type. You know, oh, this person that's committed this crime, that's so bad and that's so deep. Or like you might think of somebody in the halls of the university so entrenched in secularism and paganism and so far from the things of God. You might think about this person or that person and they're so far gone. They're so far from the things of God. And I'm trying to just cause you to pump the brakes on that with a little bit of hope today to say, hey, hold on. God can save anybody. God can save anybody. God can save anybody. If God saved Saul, and how many know if God saved me, God can save anybody. God can save anybody. I love where Paul writes in the book of Romans chapter 5. He says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Where sin increases or when sin is present in some translations, the grace of God is all the more present. The grace of God is all the more increasing. Uh, you, you can't outrun the gracious hand of God. Uh, God is a bigger saver than you are a sinner. God's hand is more gracious. God, we, God can save anybody. God can save Anybody, if we're not careful, we'll begin to not believe that in our heart because we'll look at people and we'll think they're too far gone. And I'm trying to get your heart and your mind to have some faith today. Hold on. God can save anybody. God can save anybody. God saved me. If God saved you, you can testify today. God has saved Saul. God can save anybody. Anybody. The second thing is this. God can change anybody. God can change anybody. God can change anybody. Paul writes to Timothy 
in 1 Timothy 1, and verse 3 through 11, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go all the way through it. I'm just going to give you a summary. 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 11, he's speaking to Timothy, who's a young pastor. So Paul is now older. He's been in the ministry Again, about three decades at this point, he's at the last chapter of his life, and he's investing into Timothy, who is a young pastor who he's placed over people. And he's telling Timothy, as a pastor, you have to not just play offense, but you need to play defense. Like, as a shepherd, how many know you have to lead your flock to still waters, but you also sometimes have to pull out the rod and beat the wolf, you got to play defense and you got to play offense. And so he's giving him some practical instruction by saying, hey, here's some wolves, Timothy, to defend against. So verses 3 through 11, he describes a type of person. He describes a person that fits a certain mold. And here's what, here's what he describes. He says, they're a false teacher. They teach things that are not true. They are devoted to myths. They promote controversial speculations, everything's speculation rather than God's word. So they've departed the word and work of God and just gotten to myths and speculations and all these things. They've departed the faith. They're giving to meaningless talk. Chatter, 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 chatter. Wandering away from the word and getting into meaningless talk, meaningless talk. He's like, watch out for these people. These are people you have to guard against. These are people you have to guard against. He says, they don't know what they are talking about and what they're affirming. So they're standing on things that aren't even solid and they can't even defend or argue for what they're standing on. Like they're standing on stuff out of ignorance, not out of uh, a sound or a clear mind. Uh, He said they're not properly instructing the law. They've taken the law and misconstrued the law. They're twisting God's word. They're not understanding God's word correctly. He said they're ungodly. They're sinful. They're unholy. Uh, He said they kill their fathers and mothers. They're murderers. He said they practice homosexuality and sexual immorality. They're involved in all kinds of sexual sin. They've departed biblical doctrine. said they're slave traders. They are liars and all kinds of other things that are contrary to sound doctrine. Right, so so he's, he's providing this whole list. And again, it's extensive. It's like eight or nine verses. You just read through it and you're like, wow, all these things. Wow, 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 wow. Like it doesn't just say one thing. Like watch out if they do this. It's like boom, 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 boom. So he's like, watch out for this person. Red flag for this person. Watch out for this person. Defend your church from these people. Watch out for these people. These people are, are, are dangerous. These people pose a threat to sound doctrine. These people pose a threat to your church. These people guard it, Timothy. Watch, warning, warning, warning. And then right at the end of his warning, he says, but hold on, hold on. 12 and 13 through 15, he goes on to say, but don't count them out because I used to be one of them. That was me. I was deceived. I was lost. I was a violent man, he says. So, so guard against them, stand firm, guard against them, but don't count them out because God can change anybody. God can change anybody. So, so be on guard, be on guard, realize it, but do it with some hope and some faith that God can change them. God can save them. Man, the next point, I want you to get this. Don't count anyone out. Don't count anyone out. Don't count anyone out. Our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. No matter how lost someone seems, no matter how deceived someone seems, no matter how far from the things of God 
people are. We must stand for God's word. We must stand to be light and darkness, but we're doing it facing people, knowing our battle is not against them. Our battle is in the spiritual, and no matter how much this person seems to be pushing darkness into light, we've got to realize God can change them. God can save them. I want to get practical. I want you to be thinking some people in your mind and in your life that you're like, man, they are, they are so far from God. Man, they are so entrenched in their way of thinking that is not God's way of thinking. Man, they're so far gone. I'm trying to fill you with a little bit of hope today, a little bit of faith today. To say, God can change anybody. Don't count them out. Love them, serve them, stand on God's word unapologetically and do it with some faith knowing God can change anybody. God can change anybody. God's grace is big enough for anybody. God saved Saul. God saved me. God can save anybody. Come on, you can testify to this today. If God's changed you, where would you be without the grace of God? Who would you be without the grace of God? If God saved you, if God changed you, can't God do it for anybody? He can do it for anybody. God can change anybody. Don't count anybody out. I don't want to be a cynical Christian. I don't want to be a, a doubt-filled Christian that just goes around talking about how bad everyone is and how far everyone has gone. Like, like we need revival. People need God's word. And I have faith for it because I know God can save anybody. I know God can change anybody. I know, I know God can do it. God saves Saul. God can save anybody. I think sometimes we can get discouraged or we can begin to get skeptical around people being changed and transformed by God's power and God's grace because number one, I think sometimes we just forget how powerful God's grace is. Man, his grace is powerful. His grace is powerful. Let me just say it one more time. I'll say it one more time. His grace is powerful. It's great. His grace, he can do anything. He can save anybody. He can change anyone. He can, he can do any. We just forget his grace is powerful. And then also, I think we can begin to get discouraged because we think that it's our role to bring about transformation in people's lives. Like we think that we have to shoulder the weight of eternal fruit when it's, no, it's God that does that. It's God that saves people. We talked about that last week. It's, it's God that changes people. Now again, God uses us as a part of the process to declare his word and to be his hands and his feet in proclaiming the gospel. So we have a part to play, but the part we don't play is heart transformation. The, heart, the, the, the part we don't play is people's salvation. That's God's part. And so, man, if we, if we begin to shoulder the wrong weight, then we can begin to get discouraged thinking that we have to do it. And we realize, no, 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 we, we serve, we love, we proclaim the word of God, and God changes people. God changes people. God saves people. Like what I love about this church in Kentucky, everything I've been reading out of this school in Kentucky has been like, man, th this has been no thing of man. It, are, all the stuff I'm reading about it, is this just God? Like it's just, it's just people showing up, coming out the woodworks to show up and confess all of their sin and repent, turn towards God. It's, it's people just sitting in worship and praying in the scriptures for days on end. Like, like that's not of man. Like nobody, nobody locked the doors. Like nobody's manipulating anything. Like that's just God. I mean, that's God's work. That's God's spirit. That's God's power doing it. And I think if we begin to think this is about us, then we can be discouraged and we can be worried and we can be anxious about it. We've got to realize not this thing, this is God's work. God can save anybody. God can change anybody. I want to give you faith for that. I want to give you faith for the person in your life who you've just kind of already decided in your mind, man, they're gone. Man, they're, I've tried. Man, we've tried before. Man, they've tried. I just want to refuel your faith to say, God can do it. God can save anybody. God can change 
anybody. The final thing I want to look at this morning is this. God can restore anyone. God can restore anyone. I want to be a little more specific when I talk about restore today. What I mean by that is God can reignite the flame or the passion in anyone's heart who's lost it. You could be here today and you may have given your life to Christ a long time ago. Maybe it's been years, maybe it's been decades. You've given your heart to Christ a long time ago, but since then some things have slipped. Or maybe even in this current season some things have slipped. How about your passion for the Lord? Like just, just go with me for a minute today to the day you accepted Christ. The day your spiritual eyes were just open to the good news of the gospel and you just believed the gospel in the work Jesus did for you, you realized your own sin, and you realized God's grace, and you just believe, I think about the passion and the zeal and the excitement you had on that day. The childlike faith, the expectation, the, the giddiness, the gratitude, the excitement for the fact that God saved you. Like, think about that passion, and maybe over the years, over the seasons, life has happened, and your faith has been tested, and maybe that passion has just dwindled. Or maybe you're passion for the lost. Maybe, you know, you first get saved. You're like, everybody needs to know about the Lord. Who am I going to see today? Well, I don't know, but whoever it is, they need to hear about the Lord, and I'm going to tell them about the Lord. And you're just telling everybody, and you're a soul winner, and you're witnessing witness. Everybody needs to know. Why? Because you just experienced the grace of God, and it's so good. Everybody needs to know about it. And just all the time, but over time, over time, over seasons, your passion for evangelism and the lost and witnessing just has begun to dwindle, and it's, it's been months since you've shared your faith, and it's been, it's been weeks since you've even thought about a lost person and their spiritual state and what God might have you speak into their life and, and it's just dwindled. Or maybe even your humility and your brokenness over your sin has dwindled. You know, to be saved, you have to be broken over your sin because to accept a savior, you have to realize you need saving. If you don't think you need saving, then you can't accept the savior. Part of salvation is acknowledging your sin. It is, it's confessing and repenting your sin. And, and so when, when we're saved, there is an excitement, but there's also a brokenness about like, man, I'm so broken. I'm so lost. I'm so, like, what a wretched sinner I am. I need God's grace. But what can happen over time as you begin to walk with the Lord over and over, over, over seasons, and you're just in the church all the time, and you're doing all these uh, things all the right time, you can begin to lose the childlike brokenness over your sin, and you can begin to become a little bit more of a professional Christian. All the holy things I've done, and I've been in the church for this long, and look what I do, and I, I give all my things and do all the things. And, I, I'm, and you can lose a brokenness and humility over your own sin. It can dwindle. Like Here's what I know, all, all kinds of things as we walk with God, our, our, our flame, our passion, things can begin to dwindle. But I want to encourage you today, God can restore and sustain all of those things in you. How do I know that? Because of Saul. I want you to look at the end of the book of Acts, Acts 28. These are the last two verses of the book of Acts. So we read Acts 9, where God saves Saul. God comes to Saul on the road to Damascus. Acts 28 is 30 years later. 30 years, okay? Three decades. Saul got saved in Acts chapter 9. What's he doing 30 years later? Is he, is he kicked his feet up? Has it, is just that life is good, everything's fine? No, what is he doing three decades later? Ready? Here's the last two verses of Acts. 
For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed those who came to see him. So he had just been shipwrecked. He's got his place now. He's greeting uh, church members and stuff as they come in and out. And then look what he's doing. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Really scared and passively because he was now a Christian for 30 years and had already done a lot of it. No, 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 no. 30 years later, what is he doing? With boldness and without hindrance. It's like, what's he doing as soon as he gets saved? With boldness and without hindrance. 30 years later, what's he doing? After he's been shipwrecked and beaten and bruised and he's been through the ring, he has been through it. He has been through it. He's at the, his final chapter. What is he doing? With boldness and without hindrance. You say, how do you sustain that for 30 years? That's the Lord's sustaining, restoring work. How about 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16? He's writing here at the end of his life to Timothy. And he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Look at this. Of whom I am the worst. Paul's writing this after 30 years of literally, arguably, the most effective, greatest ministry in human history. He, he has... He has planted churches. He has shared the gospel. He has seen miracles. People were healed by his handkerchiefs. I mean, the dude has seen miracles. The dude has seen signs. The dude has seen wonders. The guy has planted churches. We're reading the text he wrote today, inspired by the Spirit of God because of his effective ministry. He is in chains, writing letters, planting churches. He's like for 30 years. And that guy says, I'm the worst sinner I know. You're like, uh, surely, Paul, over your last 30 years, you've matured a little bit, and surely you've gotten your act together a little bit and met somebody worse. No, he's like, no, I'm, I'm the worst sinner I know. Like, at the end of his life, after being used by God for decades, there is still a fresh brokenness and humility before God about, like, Lord, Lord, I need your grace. No, no ounce of professional Christian in this guy. No ounce of, of chest pounding in his own flesh in this guy. I'm the worst sinner I know. I'm the worst sinner I know. God, God, God saved me. His miraculous grace saved me and called me and empowered me. And, and how do you get to 30 years of effective, righteous kingdom ministry and still be broken over your own sin? That's the work of God, restoring that in his heart. And I don't know about you, but I find myself sometimes slipping from those things and slipping from those things and get a little bit too comfortable with my, my own self and my own works and a little bit uh, too proud before God where I need God's grace to bring humility back to my life. I get a little bit too comfortable in not being as missional as I ought to be. Lord, restore a fresh fire in me. God, give me, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Here's the last scripture I'll share, Psalm 51. This is David after he's committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's been confronted with it. He repents from his sin, and here's his prayer. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit. Look, here's what he's saying. He's like, Lord, I remember. <laughs> I remember the joy of salvation. I remember your goodness and your grace. I remember it, Lord. But, Lord, I've wandered. Lord, I've sinned against you, and, and I've walked away. But, Lord, I'm now repenting back to you, so, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore it back to me. I'm praying for some of you whose flame and passion and light has been diminished maybe over a long period of time. Maybe just over this recent season, man, life's just taken it out of you. Good news is God can restore anybody. God can restore anybody. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.
Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's podcast. Hey, if this content was helpful and encouraging to you, you could help us out by leaving a review or sharing it with the people in your life. I know it would bless them. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week.